Welcome to My Dream Big Clubs podcast, where we look to inspire and motivate you to dream big. And I'm your host, Sheldon Phillips. The conversation you're going to hear is about breaking through difficult times, being bold, and having the ability to find the light at the end of the tunnel. Our guest has a moving story that talks about the pain she experienced growing up to what she did to overcome that adversity. Ultimately, by the end of this episode, I want you to ingrain in your head the system that works for you when it comes to overcoming adversity. We all deal with challenging times in our own unique way, but it's important that we have our system that fills our hearts with hope. And some people may not know why they are going through what they're going through right at this specific moment, but keeping the perspective of faith and leaning into the light because the light brings hope. And I always remember during my times of adversity is that hope can't fail. So while everything around me seems to shatter, that hope just kept me going. That's Courtney Smith. Courtney has a moving story from her time as a foster child to being homeless at one point in her life to now being the CEO and founder of the Detroit Phoenix Center. During this episode, Courtney talks about the many adversities she has experienced and what she has done to overcome adversity. This conversation is taking place amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, which has caused many countries to shut down, leaving people to social distance themselves in order to slow down the spread of the virus. Let's face it. As we continue to matriculate through life, we will see peaks and we will see valleys. It's important that we pick ourselves up each day and know that we can get through our struggles and we must stay positive. Courtney will take you through her journey of crushing adversity and how she continues to be brave in closing the gaps in society. Let's find out how. Hi, Courtney. Thanks for, for your time. And I know this is a uh, quite a difficult uh, period and there's a lot that you have to do, so... Let's kick it off and dive right into the question. Who is Courtney? Yeah, Courtney is a resilient person. I am a warrior. Um, I fight for um, people. I've, I've, I've literally fought through life. Um, I'm fun loving. I am. I like to have fun. I love to travel. I love to read. I'm an introvert, which when people find that out they are like super shocked but I'm very much so an introvert um and I am someone who is deeply introspective and I love to 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 serve like I, I I very much believe that um part of who I am is a servant Okay. The introvert part is uh, surprising to me because you don't seem like an introvert. But uh... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things you did mention is that you fight through life. So what is, what exactly does that mean? Yes. Um, I'm a fighter. I, ever since I was little, I was a fighter. I could remember being in elementary school, seeing kids, you know, without or being bullied and I would stand up for them. Um, I remember like much of my life having challenges and just never giving up and just like hurtling through obstacle after obstacle. Um, like I, I'm definitely a fighter. So give us a little bit of a background about your childhood, where you come from, your experiences. Well, growing up, I definitely would say that I grew up in somewhat of a toxic kind of childhood, um, being in and out of foster homes. Um, by the time I was three years old, I had been to six different foster homes, experienced a lot, even by three. Um, I have always been 
will be on my years. So many, even therapists and psychologists and all of those would say like, even though I was three, like I was six by the time because I had experienced so much, um, even by that time. And so I got adopted when I was three years old, um, stayed with the family, you know, overall, I had a lot of siblings. Um, I grew up with a very large family, but for me, that environment was, it was deeply like problematic and there was a lot of tension just in the home. I do believe that, you know, my adopted parents had great intentions. They just didn't know how to love me in the way that I needed to be loved. So at 15, I was actually removed from the home and I started out in group homes and, and being in different shelters around the city of Detroit, which created a different type of um, environment for me. Because one thing I would say, even growing up um, in the environment that I grew up in, something that was stressed heavily, um, my adopted father always stressed like the importance of like education and so reading and writing quickly just kind of became an escape for me. So as I'm cycling through many of these different shelters and transitional living programs and all of that, I was very different from the stereotypical young person that would find themselves in that particular situation. And so um, I was able to escape through education. Like I, I read, I excelled very, very quickly, even though I didn't really enjoy school um, because of my social economic status and social background at that time, I found great joy in escape and learning. And so I would definitely say when a lot of people ask me like, well, how did you make it through like just living in shelters and being in group homes where those experiences <laughs> um, were quite interesting, very, 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 very traumatic. Um, I always say like education definitely um, was one of the things that carried me through uh, my childhood. Have those experiences built you to the person that you are today? I mean, I know you were three years old and we, we grow, uh, or, or do you believe it's more innate and that's just how you were born? I do. I, I definitely think that it was innately in me um, just to be re to be a resilient person. I do think that, you know, um, some of the things that I've learned were survival mechanisms, but I think that me as an individual has always been a very, you know, resilient person. I could think back to my childhood and having been always consistently strong-willed, always consistently um, standing up for, you know, the underdog, even always being the person that's consistently, you know, if I see something that needs to be done, it, it's getting done no matter what has to bring us to that point. All right. Standing up for the underdog in the midst of when, when it's not a popular thing to do, I think at times it can be quite it can be scary. So how do you just push aside and yeah. say, this is the right thing to do and I'm just going to do it? Um, I think that it, for me, it was, it was always just, what is the consequence of not doing so? Like who's going to be impacted by me not, you know, standing up, you know? So I remember being a teenager and I was living in one of the shelters and 
one of the staff members was treating us very, very awful, like just completely awful. And I was complaining to the shelter director, but the shelter director wasn't giving me the response that I wanted at that time. So I emailed directly the CEO. And I was in a senior in high school at this time. Like the regular staff members didn't even have great access to the CEO. But at the time, the CEO took the time to meet with me and I really literally had a proposal and I said, like, here are the things that are going wrong, like within your environment. And I think that you need to put a suggestion box for residents who live here to hold them accountable. Once I did that, I saw the, the plans being implemented and I saw that the staff being held accountable for their actions. And then I knew the power of advocacy and how my voice held power and that standing up for and standing up for myself, I was essentially standing up for everyone else who lived there, but then also for those who were to come. Man, that's powerful. I mean, you actually see something and you take immediate action and do something about yes. it. And I think a lot of times in life, whether it's fair or we just don't know how to act on it, we we sometimes are paralyzed by doing something and you're a living testament in bringing about change. And that's great. Yes. And I am a firm believer that we should definitely always tell the truth, even when our voice is shaking. And I know that directly conflicts with me being an introvert, but I think one of the powers of that introverts have is something that has carried me through is that oftentimes before I speak, I'm thinking and I'm strategizing. So I, I, I remain silent for some time and then I'm writing it down and I, I, I'm processing everything. And I think that's one of the strengths that that systems approach that has carried me through um, fighting for the underdog. Um, which to some may have been viewed as a weakness, but has really definitely carried me through. Wonderful. But even for yourself, I know you've overcome adversity. Is, is there, yes. I know there's not an easy formula on this is what you do step by step on how to overcome it, but what do you find to be very helpful and a procedure that you use to get you through? I definitely can say that having a village is super important is being around people that's going to elevate you um, and people that you trust. There's no way that I could have gotten through the things that I got through by myself. Thurgood Marshall, I think it was Thurgood Marshall that says like none of us got where we are by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Like somebody helped us along the way. Um, so I would definitely say lean into that village. Another thing is finding an outlet. Right. So for me, my outlet was reading. My outlet was writing. It gave me an opportunity to process um, my thoughts. At one point in high school for three years, I was engaged in theater. So that gave me a healthy outlet um, to really release. Um, right now, a big thing that I do is therapy. It doesn't matter what happens on Fridays, I am going to therapy. So finding that outlet is important. And I will also say um, being outside, um, finding some light, like leaning into the light, um, whatever that looks like, uh, whether it is, you know, family, whether that is that one good thing that you're good at, it could be cooking um, it could be talking to a sibling, um, something to look forward to because we all need 
something to look forward to. Um, and of course, always, you know, for me, my faith was a really big piece of that, leaning into light, trusting um, God through everything, knowing that I would never have more than I could bear on me. And also just leaning into my faith and looking at my circumstance, knowing like, okay, you know, everything that is happening to me is going to serve a purpose and that there's power in, in, in trials because they build our character. And some people may not know why they are going through what they're going through right at this specific moment, but keeping the perspective of faith and leaning into the light because the light brings hope. And I always remember during my times of adversity is that hope can't fail. So while everything around me seems to shatter, that hope just kept me going. Preach. Even when you think about it, I mean, whenever life brings you these challenging times, uh, just knowing that there's light at the end of the tunnel, it gives you gives you hope. Uh, yes. This applies to, to work, life, exercising, pretty much anything where you put a goal, um, you're provided with this light at the end of the tunnel in our lives. So you mentioned earlier serving into a purpose. So yes. what purpose do you think what you have overcome is serving? Um, I think I know that what I've overcome is serving others because I'm able to look back at my own experiences and it informs definitely the work that I do. I'm a lot more compassionate in my approach, um, leading a human service agency, working directly with young people who have society has written off. Um, and, and I'm uniquely positioned to be able to serve because I know what it's like to have been there before. And you're referring to what you're doing with Detroit Phoenix Center, correct? Yes. Um, yep. In Detroit Phoenix Center, and not even just within my organization, but just in general, any young person that I come in contact with, um, I, I, I know that my adverse having been through the situation of being viewed as a troubled teenager, right? When I was 16 years old, I went to juvenile court and they were trying to label me as being incorrigible, meaning unable to be changed or reformed. Is there anything that you did to warrant that type of label? Well, during back during that time, anything that an adult that you were doing that adults said you shouldn't do was considered a status offense. So it could be simple as, you know, not, you know, being thrown in school or standing up for yourself. I got a lot of complaints simply because I spoke out against things that were wrong. And people didn't realize a lot of times during that age that some of the behavior that I exhibited was because I had to. And having gone through life having to fight, they looked at that as a weakness, as, so, as me being someone that needed to be taught to be obedient and not look at that strength as someone who, if that energy was channeled, could become a leader. And so I think oftentimes we look at our adverse experiences in a negative way, but not seeing that that very thing that looks like is going to take us out could be the very thing that can move us forward 
it's all about perspective. So right now with the Detroit Phoenix Center, give us like a 30 second quick commercial on what is it that you guys do and how do you reach the youth homeless population? Yes. So, yep. So Detroit Phoenix Center is a nonprofit organization in Detroit. Um, we operate the only asset based resource center providing drop in services for the hardest to reach youth ages 13 to 24. These young people could be living to lit up. They can be couch surfing. They can be living in shelters. They can be coming out of the juvenile justice system. And we provide critical resources, support, and a safe, nurturing environment for them. Um, and what that means, yes, I'm, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, well, give us a little bit of background of how you opened it and what exactly transpired during that process. At this point, we want to take a quick break to remind you all to please review, subscribe, and share this podcast if you like what you're hearing. This can be done using your favorite podcast app or simply clicking the share button using social media. Also, during this time, we'll be setting up virtual meetings known as Dreams, where we all can come together to strengthen our community and share information. These virtual meetings will have capacity restrictions, so please register by visiting our website, mydreambigclub.com, to find out more information about our future events. Let's take it back to Courtney, who will talk about her experience with opening Detroit Phoenix Center. Yeah, so Detroit Phoenix Center, um, before I opened the Detroit Phoenix Center, um, I took a train journey across the country. I, I interviewed youth who were considered to be the hardest to reach youth in six major cities, and I asked them what did they need. And what I found out was they needed a safe space, right? They needed a low-barrier approach to services being offered. And also they needed a space that was driven by them. So I came back to Detroit, convened a group of young people, and we built out um, the Detroit Phoenix Center. At the time, you know, I shared this a lot that my youngest brother was going through some some housing insecurity. He didn't, he wasn't what people what he was what people would consider to be a hardest to reach youth, but he did not consider himself to be one who was in need of services. And so that's a lot of the young people that we service right now, like they don't consider themselves to be in need of services. My youngest brother really gave a lot of insight into the Detroit Phoenix Center at the time. I didn't know just some of the challenges that he was experiencing in his own life. And a few days before the Detroit Phoenix Center opened, um, my youngest brother, he transitioned. And on the day of the Phoenix Center opening, I found out that he had died um, by suicide. And at the time, even then, looking back on it, people weren't talking about mental health like they're talking about it now. Um, and at the time, I didn't even know how to talk about it. I, I, I wanted to give up. Um, running the Phoenix Center because I'm like, how can I serve my community? And I missed this whole piece with my brother. But through research and through healing, I learned that suicide is the third leading cause of death for teenagers um, and young adults ages 13 to 25. And I learned more about how vulnerable youth who were experiencing homelessness three times more likely to die by suicide than housed youth. So I knew that, you know, this great pain that I was feeling, I allowed it to move me in a way that I had never been moved um, before. Something that I always, always say is that deep-seated pain can either cripple us 
or move us to show up in the world as better versions of ourselves. And we're seeing that even right now with the crisis that we're experiencing. And I allowed it to move me. And and in less than three years, um, we've become a very look to um, human service agency to service the hardest to reach youth in the city of Detroit with, you know, a grassroots approach, doing it in, in ways that has never been done before. But it's only through that adversity and through that pain um, that I was able to frame that allowed me to use that to inform the work that I do. Yeah. And the situation that you're referring to is the coronavirus. Yep. Uh, what type of impact do you believe that's having on the homeless population right now? Um, it's definitely having a huge impact right now because those who are houseless are more susceptible to being out in the elements. Um, one of the things that they're telling people to do is to wash their hands quite frequently. If you're someone who is transient, if you're, if you're experiencing homelessness, then you don't necessarily have access to frequent, you know, to run, to running water. So that definitely puts you at a higher risk. Um, hand sanitizer is one thing that, you know, um, may not be, you know, that, that may not be readily available to our population. Also just being out in the elements, it just makes you more susceptible to respiratory infections, to, to having a common cold, especially with the weather fluctuating, not to mention, you know, not being able to rest. Um, there's so many health concerns involved with, you know, COVID-19 and, 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 in the homelessness population. And what's the biggest myth or misconception that you're hearing pertaining to youth homelessness? Um, I would definitely say for youth homelessness is that it's declining. I would certainly say like that's a big, huge myth. Actually, the numbers are largely undercounted because youth who are experiencing homelessness are hidden in plain sight. Um, because when we think about homelessness, a lot of times we think about people who are literally sleeping on the street. When we're talking about youth homelessness, we're talking about young people who are living doubled up. So they may be in houses with 10, you know, five to 10 people living in one bedroom apartment, not having their own space. We're talking about young people who are living in houses with no running water, no heat. You know, they may, may be living in shelters. They may be sleeping at the casino, taking the bus back and forth, but they're, but they're hidden in plain sight. They go to school, um, but they're literally hidden in plain sight. And they don't, may not necessarily identify as being homeless. And so they're not counted when we're doing these counts or we're saying like, here are some resources available to you because we're literally using the word homeless. And what you're doing and the impact that you're having is that if you have a youth that is homeless, your center is providing them with the essentials to eat, wash up, and other emergent needs. Yep. So at the Detroit Phoenix Center, um, we're able to take a shower. They're able to wash their clothes. Um, they're able to access the computer lab. They're able to sleep. Um, we have an after-school program geared specifically towards youth who are um, McKinney-Vento eligible. And all that means is that's just the educational term for youth experiencing homelessness. Um, and we have an educational program for them where it's club-based so they can play. Big, you know, we have a gaming club. We have a theater club. Um, we have a yoga club. And we really try to normalize um, their lives in, 
in the best way that we can and utilize play because play is one very important um, piece of, of overcoming adversity. So as we look at COVID-19 and I know we talked about the misconceptions, but what are some clear action items that you believe we can do? Just, you know, look at where you are uniquely positioned um, and to be able to serve in your own community. So it may not be, you know, as you're quarantined, it may not be being able to go out and serve at a local nonprofit, but you know, give your monies to things that matter, right? So your, you know, your local charity of choice, or perhaps, you know, ordering from a restaurant during takeout, um, you know, seeing if the neighbor next door to you is in need of hand sanitizer, um, just little simple things that we can do, um, not hoard supplies. If you're going to get food, get a, just enough that you and your family needs. Just consider the next person in this crisis because we still have a responsibility to care for our community. Yeah, community is driven by each and every one of us. And Courtney, you as a person that's been known to bridge the gap, what does that mean to you? Um, bridging the gap means finding a hurt and healing it and finding a need and filling it. Wow. Easily said and done. Such poetry. Hey, so <laughs> finish the sentence for me. I will not sleep until. I will not sleep until I've used all of the gifts that God has given me to make the world a more just and equitable place for every person. And I know you of all people will, will get that done. So let's think about it. During this time, for anybody just in general that is looking for ways to get through adversity, give them some words of encouragement on how to do that. I would say to have hope. To have hope because hope can't fail. <laughs> Let me rewind that statement. To have hope because hope can't fail. Uh, Courtney, when it comes to having hope, overcoming adversity, being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, how do we stay motivated and, and keep the fuel going within us or uh, to stay ignited and have the impact that you seem to be having in the world? Um, how do we play our role in society? I would definitely have to say it, it's finding a need, literally finding a need and filling it doing what you can in your own personal day-to-day. -day. It doesn't have to be starting a nonprofit organization. It could be something simple as turning off the lights, you know, when you're done using them, turning off the water, recycling, you know, putting the cart back in, you know, where, where you got it at the grocery store. When something, when you see a piece of paper on the ground, pick it up. I think we automatically think about these grandiose you know, but change and impact and making a difference starts with us. It starts with us within our own selves and our own individual actions. It's all about having a village and having a community where we can do our part, um, especially yes. during times where it can be challenging to, to have that social interaction face to face, uh, which is needed. Um, at the end of the day, what's important in life is, is surrounding ourselves with a well-robust community. Uh, you being someone who I see has been able to create that sense of community. What's the secret sauce in doing that? I would definitely say um, being intentional um, in terms of listening to others, 
um, listening to others and building authentic relationships. I think a lot of times, you know, in the age that we're living in, it's super important, especially now, for us to pick up the phone, to call someone, you know, to FaceTime, even though we physically can't be in community with each other, you know, leverage our technology that we have, you know, and build those, have those intentional and hard and uncomfortable conversations. And I think through our shared experiences and our shared adversity and our shared, you know, at the end of the day, I, I like to believe that everybody wants to, to see good in the world, even if they disagree on how it should happen. But through that collective need and that want, that shared responsibility, we have a bond. Well, Courtney, there's many bonds that are out there through our shared adversity and just having intentional conversations. So, Courtney, I know for a fact someone's looking at you for inspiration. I know you're going to continue to make the great impact that you seek. Thank you for the work that you're doing and shedding light on how we can overcome adversity. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for this wonderful platform and this community that you all have created through the My Dream Big Club. Like this is super, it's super amazing. Um, and so everyone that's listening, um, just even by listening to this podcast is an intentional effort to support a community that's doing good. So thank you. Thank you very much for those kind words. We'll continue to build community and you continue to bridge the gap. Thank you. Talk with you soon. Dream big and never stop dreaming. But remember, dreams without action are just dreams and often lead to disappointment. So let's get to work. And thank you for listening to My Dream Big Club's podcast. Please leave a review and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whichever podcast app you have. I'm your host, Sean Phillips. Take care.